Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. Well, I put the call out. Everybody answered. Thank you so much to everybody who took the time to head over to the new website to subscribe, to leave comments, to upvote. Holy cow. It was funny because the morning I posted the podcast, we went for our walk. I always go for the walk after the podcast. We do the podcast in the morning in case anybody wants to know my Sunday morning ritual. Get up, play some video games for a bit, have my coffee, go up, we do the podcast, and then Billy and I go for walks. usually ask me what I did it on, and I talked about how in the end, I put a call out for people to use the website, and we giggled about the fact that it was a very Tom thing to do to buy the website and then never announce the thing. So I'm like, I at least hope we get a couple comments. So the first night, I come up, and I'm kind of excited because it's a new thing. It's like a toy to me. Like, I can finally interact with people over the podcast, something that I've been really lacking, and something that I've become kind of used to with the videos because on YouTube, you put them up, you get comments on the podcast I did. So long story short, I go on, I get a couple comments. I'm like, oh, sweet. So I came down, I'm like, hey, we got a couple comments. And the next day we get some more comments and some more comments and some more comments. I think I'm up to 35 comments over last week. And I'm only sharing this because it's interesting to see how many people out there really wanted the opportunity to be able to respond to the podcast. A lot of folks like, thank God you had this. And I will, I apologize for any folks out there that are listening to this. They're like, hey, what happened? I like listening to it on Facebook. I apologize. I actually meant to post them up. So I will post them all up on Facebook because I don't want to leave you guys out. The ones on the people on Facebook, those are the only people I was able to correspond with for quite some time. So I will throw it up on Facebook as well. But it was so cool to see the comments come rolling in and the quality of content. I told Bill, I was telling Billy about when you put up a YouTube video, and this isn't, if anybody hears on YouTube, it's a lot of folks are just trying to help your algorithm. They, they see the video, they see, they like what you do, and they want to just put something down there because that helps to the YouTube alg algorithm as far as, all right, this is engagement. Somebody's taking the time to comment. So a lot of times it's nice video, good video, something like that, which I absolutely appreciate. Do not get me wrong. However, the comments on the podcast have been very, very thought out and thorough, and I've enjoyed reading them all. I asked for examples of when things went wrong, when you had bad times in the hobby where it might have resulted in the death of a spider or almost the death of a spider, in, in a way to kind of share it with folks who are embarrassed because what happens is, and it happens to all of us, you do something, it costs you the life of a spider, and you immediately blame yourself, which obviously there is some blame. You, you want to be able to look at it in a way and go, how can I improve next time? I, you recognize that it was your fault that this happened, but how can I improve? Instead of just, I'm done, I'm not doing this hobby anymore, I'm the animals deserve better than me, and I think a lot of us go through those moments where something like this happens, and we think to ourselves... I'm not cut out for this. I, I helped end the life of an animal that I was supposed to be caring for. That's tough. So a lot of folks chimed in. And not only did folks chime in with these really great examples, but there was even some instances where folks were coming on responding to other people, which is what I want. I love that dialogue. I want this to be something that folks can go on and hear the podcast and go, hey, it's not just Tom. Other people have had this happen. Hey, we've had a lot. The neat part was seeing how many similar situations there were. In terms of like a lot of things around rehousings, and I expected this would happen. A lot of the comments were about issues that happened during rehousings, and I think one of the biggest spots where it's likely to happen is in a situation where a spider bolts and somebody tries to quickly either get the top on the enclosure or tries to cup the spider quickly, and they end up either squishing the spider in the top almost or squishing the spider with the cup or having the spider squish between their hands, a lot like that, and we've all been there. I remember, I think I've said a while 
while back, one of the most important things I ever learned about rehousing is that it's okay for the spider not to go from point A directly to point B. Meaning, back in the day, I thought that if at any point the spider got out, if I had the spider in a dram vial and I was putting it into a deli cup and the spider got out of the dram vial and out of the deli cup, I thought that was a failure. No, sometimes you have to let the spiders go. You have to take a step back, let the spider run around. That's one of the reasons I use that paper towel trick when I rehouse with the paper towels in the corner of the bin that I'm using because what will happen is the spider will get out. It'll run. I can take a step back instead of like, oh God, I got to cup it and possibly having a catastrophe. I let it go. It runs under the paper towels. The spider calms down. I take a deep breath and then I move the paper towel, cup the spider. So that's one of the things it took me a while to learn. And I remember the first time it happened, a sling got out and it got into my, even I used, I've always done the rehousings inside a larger container. And for some reason in my mind, that was like last ditch resort. Like I didn't even want the spider to hit the inside of the container because in my mind, the spider was out and that's not true. You've still got to contain. So I remember the first time it happened, it was with, I think it was a... Tapnakenia species Columbia or something at the time. It was something obscure and it got out and I just took a step back. It went under a paper towel. I moved the paper towel. I cut the spider, put it in. I'm like, wow, that's important to know because if I had scrambled to get that thing, I could have squished it. So it was neat hearing that because not only did we get to feel a little better by hearing that other people had the exact same thing. I've been there. I've almost done the same thing. We've all been there where you try to cup it really quick and you're panicking because it's going to get out and you could do something wrong, hurt the spider. But hearing other people do it and then realizing that hopefully that this isn't going to happen again. Now I know it's okay if they get out a little bit. Now, where it gets sketchy, and obviously if anybody watched my old videos, I used to do it on my dinner table. The biggest fear for me was that the spider would get out, get off the table, and drop down on the floor. That's obviously a concern and something people need to be aware of and take precautions for when they're rehousing on tables. But Right there, something we can all identify with and all learn from. Another one that came out, and it was weird because I hadn't thought of this as a topic. I wouldn't cover it as a topic. It's a mini topic in this one. But the fact that sometimes it's not us we have to worry about. It's friends and family. And I had a couple stories that involved people that were staying at people's houses and, you know, you're letting somebody in your home. And I'll, I'll admit, I'm somebody that doesn't like people in my house. Like, relatives that are staying over every once in a while, that's fine. But my, my house is my castle. I don't like things changing around my house. I like to be able to do whatever I want to do. I like to be able to put a movie on without somebody going, oh, you watch this stuff. Whatever it may be. So my theory is if I'm letting somebody stay here, I'm doing you a huge solid. And you better abide by the rules. And you better, I don't mean to sound like a tyrant, but you know what I'm saying. Like, we're doing you a favor. So if I tell you don't do this, don't do this. So anyway, we had a couple that I want to go over just because they're horrific. I'll warn you ahead of time. They're terrible, but I do think they kind of lead to a little mini topic and something that we should all be thinking about if we have tarantulas and have friends or loved ones over. They wouldn't be loved ones after this, but anyway, this one's from Charlotte. Wonderful podcast is always Tom. This one really resonated with me because I recently did something that led to four of my tarantulas dying in a particularly horrible way. I had a friend, absolutely no longer a friend for many reasons, but particularly this, who I was allowing to stay in my house because she had a rough home life. She was obsessed with cleaning and with my 20 plus birds is always cleaning to be done. I told her repeatedly that under no circumstances was she to use bleach and I sadly trusted her when she agreed. In one week, I lost my P. murinus, DCF, my O. velocipes, my H. cafferariana, and my E. uteman. They all got stuck in their molts and all ripped off four to six of their legs. One of my older parakeets and two of my baby finches died during that week as well. I was beyond gutted. I had no idea what happened. 
As far as I knew, my care was correct, and the hobbyists and breeders I spoke to confirmed that my enclosures were correct. Dude, I was so devastated, I started thinking about giving away my other tarantulas. Fast forward about a month, her ex reaches out to me and sends me screenshots of her saying, ha ha ha, Charlotte told me not to use bleach because it would kill her birds and spiders. Guess what I used? A whole bottle of bleach. Who cares? She can go outside and find some more. I'm doing her a favor. If any of them die, she has too many anyways. Great friend, right? Anyway, at that point, I realized what had happened. She had wiped out five of my precious animals, and this was completely my fault. So I'm going to stop there <laughs> because this in no way, shape, or form is Charlotte's fault. You trust somebody to be in your home, they are going to listen to your rules. I don't think, unless you knew she was apparently a closet sociopath or something, <laughs> there was no way you would know she would purposely do something. It, sounds, it was purpose. It was deliberate. She didn't care. She was hoping it killed them. So that was one of the most horrifying things I had read. And I, I sadly, it led to Charlotte having a crisis of confidence because she let the person in the home. And I can understand that line of thinking. You let the person in who did this to your animals. Obviously, you knew that she had some trouble with them. You suspected that she might be kind of, I, I, I would doubt you'd suspect she'd try to kill them, but I guess there was probably some hints that maybe she wasn't a good fit for your environment, whatever it may be, but that's not your fault. That's a terrible, terrible, despicable human being. Um, I won't even say what would have happened if that was somebody I knew. It, it wouldn't have gone well, but Charlotte, I'm so sorry to hear that. And I'm glad that you've gotten over it. And obviously, I know you said you'd never make the mistake again, but I don't really believe it was a mistake. I guess the only mistake is trusting somebody that, that, that's that much of a, a scummy person that they would purposely kill your animals because that's exactly what they did. So that one really got to me. The other one that kind of falls in line with this one came from Simon. Simon writes, I lost two slings last winter because of a stupid mistake I made. Our spider room is also our guest room, and I didn't instruct my guests on leaving the heater on. They turned it off when they left overnight, and the temperatures in that room dropped below zero degrees Celsius. I caught it only in the morning because I hadn't even considered that this was something they would do. To me, it wouldn't even enter my mind to turn off the heater in a room housing several spiders. I found my babies, Blueberry, a GBB, and Toffee, a B. hemorii, curled up, lethargic, and both didn't recover and perished over the next few days. Only my adult T. Kallenbergi survived. I had three spiders and losing two of them just like that made me consider quitting the hobby in its entirety. I felt so awful these were the first slings I had tried to raise too and they'd been with me for a year at that point. It took me months to get over it. Thinking about it still leaves me with feelings of shame and guilt. I kept thinking I should have instructed my guests properly and I should have checked right when they left. And I was too afraid to talk online about my experience, partially because I rarely saw people talking about accidental deaths caused by keepers to the point that I internalized that any such event was so rare that I was especially bad for losing two at once. Thankfully, I eventually came to a similar conclusion as you proposed in this episode. I decided I was going to learn from this and try again. Now I have a whole set of instructions for any guest sleeping over, including things such as don't spray deodorants, don't let the cats in the room, don't turn off the heat if it's cold. So Simon goes on a little bit longer, but this is the gist of it. And I have to say, this is an interesting one for me because, again, I guess if you're keeping your, I guess if your guests are staying in a room full of tarantulas, it would make sense to kind of give them the ground rules. However, I have to say, like, you, I was shocked by this one because you generally don't go into somebody else's home and fiddle with the thermostat. And usually that would be something if I was staying at somebody's house. And I went in, and I am somebody that needs it cool, so I get this. If I went in, it was too hot in that room, I would ask them for permission to turn the heat down. Or would it be okay if I cracked a window open? I certainly wouldn't take it upon myself to turn the heat off. I'm assuming electric heat, it was electric heat in that room, you could turn it off room by room. That's kind of messed up, in my opinion. Like, that's just not... 
being a good guest. The least they could have done is that. So even if you didn't say anything, even if they didn't know that the spiders couldn't have it be really cold in there, the, the considerate thing to do would have been to ask you. So, I mean, again, I have a hard time blaming you for that one. I guess now, you know, the good thing, like we said, what came out of it is it sounds like you're somebody that does have guests a lot. Now you have a set of rules for the guests. So it takes all the guesswork out of the equation. They know exactly what is expected of them. So I guess a good thing came out, but I am very sorry to hear that you lost those. And I do think, honestly, this is another example of a crummy guest. And I think that's something, you know, it's not enough to warrant a huge whole podcast unless people have a bunch of other stories and we all just want to get mad and hearing about them. But you do have to be aware of the fact of the danger, and this is one that we don't always think of, of people coming into your home, family members, friends, children, friends of children, things of that nature. That's something you always need to consider when you're having folks over. Because years ago, Billy and I, we didn't have trance. Well, we had one trance. We had the queen at this time, but we had a lot of snakes. We had a third-story apartment, and we had friends of ours that would come over, and they weren't particularly, how do I put this? They they weren't great with the discipline with their kids. Their kids just ran amok. They never did anything. Whenever they came over, it was exhausting for Billy and I because we had to be parents for two sets of kids, my son and their daughters. And it always kind of drove me nuts. Well, one day we had them over, and I had this area where I had my snakes all set up, and I had this albino king snake. It was the first snake I ever got, obviously very you know, a lot of sentimental value there. And their daughter was over checking out the snake enclosures. And I said, honey, you can't touch the snake enclosures. And I look over at one point, and she's trying to open an enclosure. I go, honey, you can't open the snake enclosure, okay? You can't, they'll get out. You don't want the snake out of the cage. Well, later on, they left, and we were cleaning up around the apartment. And I went over to my snake enclosures, and there was the king snake enclosure open about three inches. Apparently, at some point, she had gone over there, and I had, I don't know, out of spite or whatever, she had opened the enclosure. The snake got out. We never found it. I was devastated. My first snake, I never had an escape of any snakes. I was very good with making sure they didn't get out. And unfortunately, because of this incident and these people that weren't watching their kid, that happened. The only good thing is I probably shouldn't share this. It sounds horrible. But years later, we had a pet rat called the Queen. And we like the name the Queen. Any old animal in our house gets the title Queen. And the Queen was like three years old. And she was in we had a nice little cage. You take her out. Cuddliest rat you ever met. And the only problem was if she was in her cage and you tried to put your finger in there, we used to feed her little baby carrots she would nip. So I told them when they came over, they came over again with their daughter and she went over and she was trying to stick her fingers. I'm like, honey, you can't put your fingers in there. She will bite you. And I told them, I said, listen, you got to keep an eye on her. She can't put her fingers in there. She will bite them. And what did she do? She stuck her finger in. The uh, queen thought it was a carrot and bit her right in the finger. And I had the hardest time (laughs) withholding my laughter because it was like, that's what we told you. That's revenge for my poor king snake. So anyway, the point of this is be careful. And I think that's something that we all need to think about now. Again, kind of what came out of this, a little mini topic. We need to make sure that we set ground rules for people to visit. We need to, people know here that when I have the rare occasions we have people over like friends for a kid's birthday party or something, nobody goes up to this room without me. I do not want anybody up here. I don't care who you're with. My kids and their friends, it's weird. It's, they're so used to me doing this that I don't think anybody really cares. So there's not a lot of interest. Every once in a while, my son Roan will bring one of his friends up or something and they'll check it out. But most people don't really care. It's like boring to them. Like, oh yeah, Mr. Moran has a bunch of tarantulas and spiders, and that's it. Once they get over their first time going around the room, nobody has to go up here. So it's been good, and I think part of the 
the good part for me is the fact that it is disconnected from the house. It's a separate room over the garage, so it's not like people are accidentally finding their way into it. Not like at my old house where you some people would come in through that room when they come into the house. So there was always that worry that somebody's going to go in there. Every once in a while, you'd see when the kids wander off. Where's the kid? They're over in the tarantula room. So that is something we need to be aware of if you're having guests and there's tarantulas in the room. Let them know. You know, talk to them about it. Post up some rules. Keep an eye on people. If people come over with their children, it needs to be made very, very clear, abundantly clear that they are not to go in there by themselves. They are not to touch any of the animals. They are not to try to open up the enclosures. Kids will be kids. And so back to the little girl that let my snake out. Again, it wasn't her fault. It was the parenting. There wasn't a lot of structure with the parenting. They wouldn't, they would just, I think they were so beaten in the ground by these the energy of these little girls that when they'd go over to our house it was like it was a break for them which you can't when I go over someplace I still watch my kids so it, it wasn't her fault it's a parenting but you need to be aware of that it's something you know one of those hidden dangers that we don't think about when we get into this hobby so awesome thank you so much for everybody that commented I planned on it's funny because I told Billy that Sunday the other thing I said is I said I'll probably get a few comments and we'll read them but we got so many I just can't read them all so do know that if you take the time to comment I will read every single one of them I will try to respond as thoughtfully as possible I ended up writing a lot on these because I felt bad felt bad because everybody wrote such very long detailed stories and I want to make sure I gave them you know a good response and there are a lot of them but I will comment and everything just like my YouTube videos and do know that I will choose ones to read when we start each podcast that I think are you know pertinent to whatever we're going to be talking about or pertinent to last week's episode whatever it may be so do know that if you post them up there I I will pull from them so if you don't want anything like your name on it just use a fake name or whatever or just put at the end of it if it's something you don't want me to read on the podcast please just put at the end of it I'd rather you didn't that's totally fine I, I'll pass it over but I guess a lot of people there I'm getting a lot of things lately there are people saying flat out you can use them on the podcast which I truly appreciate because then in that case I can just go right ahead and do it and not have to worry about somebody getting mad at me for reading it publicly so thanks so much the other thing I wanted to point out is there is a subscribe button or a subscribe area on the site that the only thing I'm going to be using if I get enough people on that that will be great for if I want to reach out to people before a podcast sometimes I just kind of want to take a little poll and see what people are thinking or sometimes I might go hey here's what I'm looking at doing what do you guys think about this podcast topic so I may occasionally use it only to kind of again create more of that back and forth between myself and you folks that are listening so if even if you don't plan on listening to the podcast from the website that subscribe button does put you on a list that I can contact you all and hear back from you so just something to think about no pressure there whatsoever I didn't even know it was there at first quite frankly until I started getting the little notifications that somebody subscribed but I do like the fact that when I open it up on my end I can send like a mass email out to everybody so if I had a topic like hey next week we're talking about this what are your experiences I can actually solicit feedback for it so so the next topic was actually suggested by Nathaniel Halcom, who has been a patron of mine for quite some time. Thanks again, Nathaniel. And he usually sends me really cool information during the course of the week and the different stuff that pops up on Facebook that I miss because I'm not on Facebook. But he sent me a link to something that was basically, why get a tarantula? What are the what are the pros of getting a tarantula? And he's like, this would be a good podcast topic. And I'm like, I swear I had done that as a podcast topic before. What had happened was I planned a podcast for it 
over the summer and I started taking the notes. And as the notes develop, sometimes I do notes and they're very bare bones. Sometimes I do notes and I start fleshing it out and it turns more into an article. So what ended up happening was I actually did an article on it and posted it up on the website and never got around to the podcast. So thanks for the reminder, Nathaniel. That's I, You saved me a lot of work this weekend because it was very early and I had no stress in coming up with a podcast topic. So today we're going to talk a bit about the pros and cons of tarantulas as pets. Now, obviously, we're going to focus more on the pros. You guys know how I am, a very positive person when it comes to the hobby. But I do think there are cons to it. So I did want to, I, I had people ask me, you know, what are the, why is everybody into tarantulas? What is so good about them? What, why do you recommend these, as a, these animals as a pet? Because most people find them either scary or at the worst despicable. And I really wanted to come up with something for somebody that was maybe surfing the web, had heard, seen some tarantula videos, like, wait a minute, I'm not sure if a tarantula is right for me. Let me do some research. So the good news is for people that are, you know, when you're approached by somebody who says, I don't get it, what's so good about these? Why do you like them? A lot of these come from the actual examples I give them of why I think this is a great hobby, why I enjoy it so much. So you will have something there for people that don't get it to be able to go, here, listen to this, or here, read this article. At least it gives you a perspective from somebody that enjoys it as to why we enjoy the hobby so much, why we enjoy taking care of these eight-legged creepy crawlies that most people find scary. So the original article was titled Tarantulas as Pets, the Good, the Bad, and the Misunderstood, because I do think there are, you know, there's black, white, there's gray areas. And I really wanted to break down what is it about. And this took some thought because I've been in the hobby so long now, it's like it's just fun for me. It's hard to break down all the different little aspects of it that make it great. So as anybody knows from me, uh, my story, I saw my first tarantula a long, long time ago in a pet store. It was a Brachypelma. Hammeri, well, back then it was probably Uathless Smithy, but it was in the middle of a store. And that was one of the first live tarantulas I ever saw. And I remember being absolutely fascinated with tarantulas after that. Unfortunately, most of the movies I watch, I'm a huge horror movie fan, they don't depict them in a very favorable way. It's funny, I was watching um, Lucio Fulci's uh, the Beyond yesterday, one of my favorite movies, one I like to put on around Halloween time, Billy and I sit there and laugh at all the outrageous gore. And there's a scene with spiders in it that is absolutely absurd and ridiculous. We giggled through the whole thing, but that's what I grew up watching, stuff like that. So it wasn't until way later when Billy and I first moved out that we got the queen. We had the queen for quite some time, and it was when discussing the fact that the queen was getting quite old that, you know, what would we do when she died? How would I go about getting another tarantula? Hopped online and discovered this whole world of not only new species out there, but the ability to order them online, which I'd never even considered. We're not allowed to sell them in pet stores or at expos in my state. So I either have to travel to pet stores over state lines like in Massachusetts, or I found I could order them online. And that opened up everything for me. And then as I started doing my research, I became more and more fascinated, wanted to learn more and more. And Started a blog at one point as a joke. It was Tom's Big Spiders. We giggled at the name. Didn't think anybody would ever be on it, but I was just wanted away an outlet and wanted to do some writing. And here we are. So obviously, I'm very, very into the hobby. But what is it that makes us love this hobby so much? What is it that makes it such a great animal? What is it that has the pet trade, the pet trade in terms of tarantulas? booming right now. So let's first start out and take a look at some of the pros. One of the biggest pros I found, especially coming from keeping snakes for years, they take up little space. Most full-grown tarantula, a lot of full-grown tarantulas, they reach a leg span of five or six inches, which if you see them spread out, 
that's a pretty good size. But remember, they're not always spread out. So they require a, a little more space than something comparable to a 5 or 10-gallon aquarium, which isn't particularly large. And many keepers can keep their spiders on shelves, desks, dressers, nightstands, places around the room that it doesn't need to take up a lot of room unless you get so into the hobby that you have hundreds of them like me. So this makes them perfect pets for smaller apartments, bedrooms, classrooms, offices, dorms. But again, back to our original thing, make sure the other people are respectful of your animals. And that's a really cool thing. Now, I had snakes for years. And snakes, you don't need to go over the top with them. But I had 40 snakes at one point, And they took up a heck of a lot more space than 40 tarantulas would take up. You need a lot bigger area for them. Uh, any other animals that you keep, it's usually going to take a lot more space. Now, think about it, with tarantulas, they have such a small footprint. Slings can be kept in little dram vials or in 16 or 32 ounce deli cups, which can be stackable, which again takes up less space. A lot of us use found enclosures. By found, I mean ones that we just pick something up at Walmart and turn it into an enclosure that, again, take up not that much space or stackable. I'm looking over at my shelves next to me. A lot of them are stacked too deep with the different enclosures I have because I do love stackability. They're so, take up so little room. And again, this leads to one of the problems later on when we get to the cons of it. But I think it makes a great pet for somebody that doesn't, especially if you're only getting two or three, one or two or three, they don't take up a lot of room. Unfortunately, which leads to another aspect of the hobby and where a lot of us get sucked in, it leads to collecting because they take up such little room. Many tarantula enthusiasts find themselves keeping more than one, and before you know it, you amass a collection of several different species. And this, I think, leads nicely into my second pro. There are many to pick from. Why would someone want more than one tarantula? I think that was something that I explained a while back that I didn't realize when I told people I have 150 or 200 or whatever it may have been at that time tarantulas. They look at me like, what? I realized most people had only seen pictures of just big brown spiders. And they just pictured all tarantulas as big brown hairy spiders. They didn't realize how many different patterns and colors there are out there. And so when you whip out the phone and you break out Instagram and you start showing them all, they're absolutely blown away by the fact there are so many colors. And I think that's the part that sucks a lot of us in. I can remember sitting at the computer vividly and turning the billy, and I've mentioned this story many times, going, oh boy, oh boy, I can see myself having a bunch of these because all of a sudden I wanted this one. This one's orange. This one's blue. This one's purple. This one's brown, but it's huge. This one's, it, it was just so much. And a lot of folks jokingly do the whole Pokemon theme, got to catch them all, because you do feel like you you get a certain genus that you like. Maybe it's Brachypelma, and you, you pick up one Brachypelma, and you go, man, I like the looks of this one, but I like the looks of this one. You pick up another Brachypelma, then another one. Next thing you know, you're grabbing all the Brachys there's a very and we've talked about this through another podcast it appeals to collectors so you get into it you get one and next thing you know it you'd find yourself getting a lot because there are just so many beautiful ones out there and it's not just colors there's terrestrial tarantulas that live on the ground they're the fossorial ones that burrow some people love the fossorial ones they love just catching a glimpse of them there are the arboreal ones that you can set up in the trees you put plants in there's in the trees well probably not in a tree in your house but you know what i'm saying you can set them off the ground there's blues there's greens there's oranges there's stripes there's all kinds of patterns and it's just really makes the hobby that's what gives it its addictability because you get one you're fascinated with it you love it and then you go but I want to get this one now and I want this one so 
In many ways, keeping tarantulas is like keeping tropical fish because both of these animals are mostly hands-off pets that come in numerous size and brilliant colors. And that's another way to kind of convince people that it makes sense to have multiples. People will get tropical fish and they'll have several fish tanks up and they'll have all different colorful fish and different ones of saltwater tanks and freshwater tanks. And people will come in and go, those are beautiful. Well, it's very similar to that when you keep tarantulas. You have all your different types and they're just as beautiful. So the next reason I think they are great pets is they are incredibly low maintenance very low maintenance. And eventually moving on down the line, we are going to do a podcast topic about overcaring for tarantulas because I think they are so low maintenance that the majority of us get into the hobby and we think we're not doing enough with them. And then we overdo it. Most of us are used to taking care of furry pets that require multiple daily feedings, periodic cleaning of their enclosures, walks, yearly vet visits. It's therefore quite a shock for people to learn that tarantulas are one of the most low maintenance pets available. First off, forget daily feedings. No longer have to feed. We feed our dogs twice a day. You feed every animal usually at least once a day. You don't have to do that with tarantulas. You only need to eat an appropriate size meal once a week. Some people feed them once a month and they stay perfectly healthy. They are also incredibly clean animals that don't require frequent bedding or substrate changes. That's something that tends to throw people off. I will have people email me, go, I just got my brand new, I don't know, grandma stole a polka. He's beautiful. He's been in this enclosure for a week. When should I change the substrate? And when I tell them you don't have to, they, they're like, you're kidding me. They do this little watery, almost like bird poop when they go to the bathroom. And it usually just soaks right into the substrate. You can easily go in and scoop it out with a spoon. If you find a spot where they're doing it over and over again, or if they do it on the sides of the enclosure, you can wash it off with some warm water and paper towels. Remember, don't use any chemicals. And then when their bolus is when they're done eating, they have the, the food remains is this dried up little husk of what they were eating and they usually deposit it somewhere. It's often in a corner, in a water dish, behind some moss. You just take that, pluck it right out of there with some tongs and you're good to go. They are so easy to keep and keep healthy. Now, the only spot in terms of maintenance and husbandry that gets a little trickier are the rehousings. Rehousings, obviously, are when the spider outgrows its current enclosure. You put it into a larger enclosure, and that's, as we talked about previously in the podcast, where accidents can happen. So that's the only spot that should be or could be a little stressful. But again, you want to practice those rehousings, and they're not, depending on the species, they're not going to be doing it all that often. If you've got a Brachypelma, a Fonapelma, Gramostola species, and you buy it as a sling, you might rehouse it three times, and it might be over the course of several years. If you have some of the faster-growing ones, sure, there are going to be more rehousings, but they'll be in their adult enclosures before you know it, and at that point, they can stay in there for the rest of their lives. So they are very, very low-maintenance and easy to keep when compared to other pets, which can make them a good starter pet for somebody. Like I've had people contact me and say, my 9-year-old daughter, my 10-year-old son want a tarantula. Obviously, I'm going to be there to supervise but do you think this would be a good pet? I do. The only issue is just make sure they understand that if they go on later on and get a furry animal that you can't just feed it once a month, that you have to take it out and walk it and, and get, well, depending on what it is, it needs exercise, it needs stimulation, whatever it may be. But yes, very, very easy to take care of. And I think that's one of the things that attracts a lot of people to the hobby. Now, next up, they are relatively inexpensive to keep. Because these animals need very little to thrive, they can be one of the easiest and least expensive pets to maintain. There are no pricey enclosures or heating elements required, and many successfully keep their spiders in cages acquired for a few dollars at their local Walmart or container store. 
My first spider, the queen, spent the first 10 years of her life with me in a modified Sterilite plastic storage bin that cost me about $3 total at the time. So that's about as cheap as you can get. And I think I went out, I, I will admit, I kept in the 90s, so that was during the vermiculite stage where a lot of people kept their animals on either dry or moist vermiculite. And then they, basically the only reason it went out of fashion is they found out that the vermiculite they were mining was next to asbestos and was getting mixed with it. So they took it off the market for a while and I switched over to dirt. But at that time, that was something they used a lot of. And so for $3 for the Sterilite container, I think the bag of vermiculite was like $8. So 11 bucks and she was good to go. And I would buy crickets every once in a while. I had snakes at the time. So I always had frozen pinky mice. I would throw those in every once in a while, which I don't do anymore because it kind of left the mess. But very cheap to take care of. And as a matter of fact, if you only have one or two spiders, super cheap to take care of. No big, you know, cost as far as getting prey. You're buying a couple 12 cent crickets, which is expensive. You can find them at a, a pet store that has them for cheaper. That's great. But I think they're up to like 12 or 15 cents a piece at Petco now, which is ridiculous. But even then, if you have an adult, say adult, I don't know, Gramostola or Terry, you're buying, you can buy four crickets a month, four large crickets. So what's that? 60 cents and your tarantula is fed. You don't have to clean it, do any of that stuff with it. They can do just as well in modified containers as they can in nice ones. So if you do want to make it more expensive and buy those nice enclosures, and a lot of us do get to that point where we start doing it. I just spent, I think, 200 bucks yesterday on Amazon buying some nice enclosures for some of the things I wanted to show off. Sure, you can spend the money, but you don't have to. In fact, a basic adult tarantula setup requires only an enclosure, some substrate. You can get cocoa fiber, topsoil. You can get for $2 a bag. That would work fine a hide, cork bark being the most popular, and a water dish, and that's it. And as they do well at room temperatures, which is usually about 60 degrees or so or above in the 60s, and don't require lighting, don't require extra heating, don't require heat mats, rocks, none of that stuff. In that case, a frugal owner could set up his new pet in an appropriate home for under 20 bucks easily. So that's cheap, and that's it. If that's an adult, that's it. You don't have to do anything else. Now, for those folks who find themselves with a lot of tarantulas and they want to make things even less expensive, you start raising your own prey items. So you could do mealworms. Crickets are kind of a PIA. The other one, roaches. A lot of folks, I have three different roach colonies going at any given time. You have a never-ending source of prey items that you have to spend anything above just feeding them. And you can do it rather cheaply. And then finally with tarantulas, there are currently no need for annual vet checks or shots or expensive medications and surgeries. Most of these amazing arachnids will make it from spiderlings to adults with no issue. So as a whole, they really do suffer very few maladies. And that's a really important thing to consider because I have dogs. We have four dogs. We treat our dogs like gold. They all get annual visits. They get their shots. Anytime there's something wrong with them, we don't hesitate to bring them to the vet. My gosh, the money we've spent there, which is great. We love them. But compared to my tarantulas that I have 100, well, actually, what are we up to here? 225 tarantulas of spiders, all the things we got up here, I spend next to nothing on that. That's not to say that as vet care gets better, there might not be instances where there, we would be required to bring one in. But as it stands right now, it's not a normal situation. So they are very inexpensive to keep, which is great for somebody that maybe doesn't have the extra spending money, which I know when Billy and I first started out we did not have any money and so it was great to have the snake hobby became very expensive trying to find feeder rats 
And mice became expensive in comparison to tarantula hobby, not so much. The most expensive part is actually buying the animals. And depending on the ones that you want, if you want some of the standard species, you spend 50 to 75 bucks on a sling. Sure, it's a chunk of change, but you're going to have that sling potentially for anywhere from 5 to 10 to 20 to, depending on the species, 30 or 40 years. That's pretty awesome. So another perk of the hobby, another thing that makes keeping tarantulas amazing and exciting is setting up their habitats. Setting up the habitats can be incredibly rewarding. For many who keep tarantulas, part of the enjoyment comes from creating the beautiful naturalistic enclosures for their pets. Although fancy setups are not required, as we talked about earlier, and often offer no benefit for the spider, they do add another dimension of enjoyment for many hobbyists. Eschewing simplicity for more aesthetically pleasing arrangements, some keepers will choose to house their pets in premium glass or acrylic enclosures. I've been doing a lot of glass and acrylic lately only because I'm enjoying kind of now that I have the room for it and now that I'm not buying as many and a lot of mine are growing up becoming adults, setting up an environment where I can observe them and see them and they look good when I take my pictures of them. It's no longer just a spider in a plastic tank with a bunch of dirt. Not that there's anything wrong with that. We have a lot of those still going on here, but for some of them, I like to give them those nicer enclosures. Some people like to dabble in putting in live plants and other natural touches such as moss, leaf, leaf litter, backgrounds. These setups can easily bring a touch of nature into a room and become a conversational centerpiece for visitors. I know my buddy Eric does some amazing enclosures. I have him on Instagram and he's always, I have to try these sometime. He's sent me some links to how to get started, but does some gorgeous enclosures and he'll like pan over his enclosures. And I'm so jealous because they look amazing. The spiders, if you took the glass out of the pictures, you could picture this spider being out in its natural environment. And that's a really cool thing. So for many folks, that becomes an added part of the hobby. It's not just keeping the animals. It's all the creativity that goes into designing wonderful naturalistic enclosures for them. So definitely a huge part of the of the hobby for many of us. I am just scratching the surface of that one now. I do plan on in the future getting a little more crazy with some of the stuff that I've seen out there because I just love the way it looks. And you know what? Some of them, it can benefit the spider. When you create something that's like a rock or dirt background and there's several different places it can hide, giving that spider choice only enables it to more easily settle down and be comfortable in its surroundings. So setting up habitats, quite rewarding for the keeper, can be quite rewarding for the spider as well. Now, another perk of keeping tarantulas, and this is one that tends to blow people's mind, longevity is a big part of why I love tarantulas so much, and unfortunately a part why I stayed away from true spiders for such a long time. I got spoiled by the fact that they can live, or many of them live so long. When I bought my first tarantula, which was obviously the queen back in the 90s, she was almost full grown, about four and a half inches. She was a big spider, and I really was worried. I remember bringing her home and looking at Billy and going, well, if we have her for a couple of years, it'll be great, which I was really worried she wouldn't be with me for all that long. And boy, were my concerns misplaced because obviously the queen lived with us for 26 years, which is amazing. And considering the size she was that I got her and that she was probably wild, no, probably she was wild caught. She was already four and a half inches. She was likely 10 to 15 years old when I got her another 26 years. 
That's an old spider. So most female tarantulas can live anywhere from 10 to 30 years, depending on the species and the speed of the growth rate. Obviously, when we're talking about the Fonapelma, Brachypelma, Gramostola, those ones all, because they take so long to reach adulthood and maturity, can live anywhere from you know, 25, 30, even 40 years. Some of the other species, not as long. For example, the C. cyanio pubicins. I've heard folks say theirs live 10 years. For others, 8. 8 to 12 years, probably around there. I know I just lost one that was about 10. It was a female. So she was quite old. But that's a long time to have a pet, which is awesome. That's up there. You know, in, in the lower end, they're up there with most dogs. In the higher end, they're up there past just about everything. So... The idea of keeping these slow-growing animals that can easily leave, live 20 years or more is a perk for a lot of people. Now, obviously, the males have shorter lifespans. That can't be understated. And depending on the species, some males can mature out in a year and be dead in just over a year. Some live a little longer. I have a, a G. pulchra who is pushing, I, I want to say like eight years now. So there's some that live longer too, and that's not bad. But if you're looking for a pet that will be around for many years, there are definitely many species of tarantulas that will fit that bill. So another perk about keeping tarantulas is that they can help many people overcome arachnophobia. When I acquired the queen back in the 90s, part of the reason was I wanted to get over my lifelong fear of spiders. I grew up doing farm work. I did a lot of yard work. And there's nothing worse than when you're, you know, you consider yourself kind of a big tough guy and you pick up a shovel and there's a spider on it and you scream and throw the spider and run away because you're so scared. Now, luckily, I never killed the spiders, but I was terrified of them. So it took some time, but working with tarantulas helped me, well, A, completely overcome my fear of tarantulas and then usually takes a little longer for true spiders, but I have zero fear of true spiders anymore. And I'm not alone on this because over the years I've spoken to dozens of keepers who were arachnophobic when they brought their first tarantulas and ha now have no fear of spiders. Now, it may sound strange, but the majority of people, myself included, find the larger, hairier tarantulas to be actually less intimidating than house spiders. So a lot of people start with tarantulas to get eventually over the house spiders. I will have people email me all the time say, hey, I used to be terrified of spiders. I love tarantulas now. No fear of them. But house spiders still scare me. And it's like, don't worry, it will come. And those are what I will say that there was a point where I was less afraid of larger tarantulas than I was of the slings. The slings look like house spiders to me and they freak me out. So as a result, heads up, even if you're working with tarantulas having no problems with it, you see a wolf spider, it may still scare you for a little while. Eventually you will get over it. And I think part of it is just the desensitization that comes from keeping spiders and being around them all the time. You start to see them less as creepy, crawly insects. Like I've told people, I see them as furry animals. I see them the same way somebody would look at a gerbil or a hamster, as weird as that may sound. It's that, in my mind, that's where they land. And a lot of times it's just the fascination they feel when observing and caring for these animals starts to erode their fear and replacing it with respect and eventually admiration for them, which does away with the fear part. So suddenly you're able to work with spiders. Suddenly you're the one in the office that's catching the little jumping spider that's scaring everybody. And that's a really cool thing. So if you're out there and you're scared of spiders and you want to get over it because you recognize it's kind of a silly thing to be scared of and you're tired of it, try keeping some tarantulas. It really does help. Now, the next topic is one that I've actually added to the list. It wasn't on the original one, but it cannot be understated. And I've got I received a really powerful email this week that I'm going to share. But one thing that I've learned over the years is that tarantulas help many, many people struggling with mental health issues or substance abuse issues. I receive so many emails from folks who share with me 
how much of a profound effect keeping these animals has had on their lives because it's given them something to focus on, something to, in some cases, it's a matter, I've heard people say it's a distraction. Some people say they get so wrapped up in it that it allows them to kind of refocus their heads and, and stop thinking about other things. We're talking about soldiers with PTSD, people struggling with drug addiction, alcohol addiction, Mental health issues, depression is a big one. I can't tell you how many folks that I've spoken to that got into the hobby and that becomes one of the things that helps pull them out of those bad days, gives them reason. And then we get emails like the one here that really kind of drives home. This one really got me in the feels when I was reading it and I think does a really good job of putting in perspective of how important these animals can be to people. So this one was from Travis A. Hey, Tom, big fan of your podcast. While listening to this week's episode about dealing with tarantula deaths, you'd spoken a bit at the beginning about how many addicts and people with mental illness use it as a coping mechanism. I wanted to take a few moments to share my story with you. In 2020, I was going on my third year as a biological hazmat technician and firefighter. My primary job was scene cleanup and extrication of vehicles deemed to have too much bodily fluid for a standard X to handle safely. It was extremely taxing on me as a person, and as many firemen do, I turned to drinking to help cope. I was in a very bad place at the time and quickly became suicidal. A friend of mine had dropped off some isopods for me because his dairy cow colony had gotten too large. I thought it was stupid to have bugs at all, but I took care of them because I respected life too much to let them die. One night when drunk, I decided I was finally done with it all and was sitting on the edge of my bed with a shotgun under my chin. A few seconds from pulling the trigger, I remembered I had those. I knew my family wouldn't take care of them and they'd surely be left for dead. Long story short, I put the gun down and watched them crawl around for a while. Not long after, I got my first tarantula, then another, then another. I spent a lot of long nights watching them. I have 60-some now and just passed my one-year anniversary of the last time I ever put my uniform on. Your podcast videos and posts have been extremely helpful and I'm greatly appreciative of what you do for the community that saved my life. Feel free to use this on the podcast should you see fit. And P.S., I no longer think bugs are stupid with a smiley face that really does kind of pull it together with a grin. Travis, thank you so much for reaching out with this one. And we're obviously all still glad that, that you're with us and that this happened. And it's amazingly, not the first one I've received like this. I've received other ones, a similar thing of people thinking about their animals when times are really rough, people that feel like they have nobody out there but recognize that these animals depend on them, and some that are recovering, they get into it, and it, it provides a distraction. It provides a coping mechanism. A lot of people out there turn to this hobby to get over their demons, and I find that personally amazing. And I have to say, like reading this really got me because I do the Tom's Big Spider stuff and anybody that knows me in person, I make fun of myself all the time for it because people that don't know and aren't into tarantulas, it sounds like the weirdest, dorkiest thing ever and I'm very self-deprecating and I always downplay the importance of what I do but there are little moments like this where you sit back and realize, holy crud, that like this could have a much bigger impact than I often allow myself and not to over-exaggerate it. Most of the time, we're just telling people how to take care of things but when you read something like this, it really does kind of make you put things in perspective. So yes, a lot of folks that get into the hobby do so to try to help them with certain things that they're dealing with and it can be a huge help to them and I think the value of that can't ever be understated and I think people need to hear about it. So definitely tarantulas help a lot of folks who are struggling 
with those mental health, substance abuse issues. And I, again, one day I would like to do a podcast about it. I just don't know how to do it in a way. I don't want it to end up being like one of these sappy talk show things, but it really is. I love hearing about the different aspects of this and how it has helped people out. So someday we'll get on that one. Maybe I'll do a call out for people that want to share their stories. That might be the most powerful way we can do it. And then finally, they are fascinating. I, you can't convince me otherwise. I know people are like, what? They're spiders. Do a search on YouTube for tarantula feeding videos, and you're going to find thousands of videos of keepers feeding their prize pets. And these videos amass millions of views for the sole fact that many people find spiders hunting and eating to be incredibly fascinating. There's just something about a six-inch giant hairy spider doing the tarantula happy dance, spinning around on its tiptoes while webbing up its prey that captivates people. And feeding time is just one of the many captivating aspects of keeping a pet tarantula. Raising a tarantula from a baby spiderling to a robust adult can be an amazing and rewarding process. I mean, I can tell you, having I'm at a point now where some of my tarantulas, the ones that don't live so long, are finally starting to pass away from old age. And in one aspect, it's very, very sad. Don't get me wrong. But in another, there is some pride there to know that I took this thing from a little tiny sling and raised it up to a nice, big, beautiful adult, and it, it lived and died in my care, which, again, sad, but in a way, there's some satisfaction there. So there's so much to love about them. Molting. I've, I've had people go, oh, my spider molted today. I know this is probably boring to you. Molting will never be boring to me. I've seen dozens, if not hundreds, of them shed, and it's always fascinating to me. Breeding will always be fascinating to me. I sat down, I shared the story where I sat down with the two Pioratus, the pair of them, big, giant, beefy, golden spiders, and how could you not be amazed and in awe of that? There's just so much to watch, and, and to be honest, sometimes just watching them sit there and be pet rocks and do nothing is cool. After all, it's a big, giant spider. Sometimes it's a big, giant purple spider. Sometimes it's a big, giant orange spider. There's so much to love about. So I do think tarantulas, the biggest thing that attracts us, they are cool, and they are fascinating, and they are fun to watch. They are fun to learn about. I will add in there for those people who love doing research, there is so much to research. For those folks out there who love finding new topics to learn about and learn everything about and research, all my autistic friends out there, a lot of us will tell you it's there's so much to love and learn. I hear from folks all the time who will email and they'll mention that they have autism and it's like, hey, it's all good. I totally get it. I'm, I'm still trying to get my son, my 11-year-old into him because I think it would be something he'd love, but... Time will tell, but it's it provides a lot of to us as far as being f fascinated by them, learning about them. There's just so much to do, and that can't be you know understated. So definitely, they are absolutely fascinating. I don't care what anybody says, and sometimes it's tough convincing people of that. But I will say, and I've said this many times before, I've had people over there like they're discussing, they're nasty. As soon as they get up here in the room and start to relax a little bit and realize they're not all going to get out of the cages and, and eat them they start becoming fascinated and asking questions. And that's exactly, that's the key to getting anybody to switch over their mindset from their nasty is to get them hooked on just how amazing they are. Now, as I said, we won't just do the pros without covering the cons. And there are a couple cons or a couple drawbacks or a couple things that may cause people not to be as enamored with them as we all are. Number one, and I can't overstate this one, they are not cuddly or affectionate. Unfortunately, for those looking for a pet that will show and reciprocate affection like a dog or a cat or even a rat, we did talk about my girl earlier on, they will not find that quality in a tarantula. 
Although the debate over how intelligent they are still rages on, and many folks have witnessed actions that have us questioning if they can learn, they're just not hardwired to be affectionate. And I feel bad because there are people that approach me with what they believe is evidence. And hey, you know what? Maybe somewhere down the line we find some, but I don't believe it. And unfortunately, it involves them sometimes putting the tarantulas in a bad situation, like the folks that fall asleep with their tarantula on their chest because they think their tarantula is watching TV. We giggle at it. We shouldn't make fun because in their mind, they maybe that's the pet they're able to get. Maybe they're unable to get hairy pets and they really want that connection with their pet. But unfortunately, you're not going to get it for a spider. I talk to people that like say, hey, I like to take my spider out because it likes to spend time with me. It's like you wouldn't do that with your tropical fish. You wouldn't pull your little goldfish out and have a cuddle with it. You need to show the same respect to the spiders. So although folks that handle will report that their specimens may become accustomed to the close interaction, there's no evidence to say that they enjoy or benefit from it. And then also, we always have to remember a tarantula's temperament can change from molt to molt. So it's not rare for a tractable specimen to become more skittish and defensive after a molt. I've had many spiders that were very, very laid back. For example, my grandma stole Iaringi has always been very laid back. She just molted again. She's a beast now, and she's much more skittish than she was before, and that's something that can always happen. So unfortunately, if you're looking for an animal that can sit on your lap while you watch movies or play video games, you're better off for looking for something more furry and conventional. And as I always tell people when they're like, well, don't you want to hug them? I have my dogs for that. My dogs give me all the hugs and love I can possibly need or want, sometimes too much. Sometimes I have four of them trying to give me all the love at the same time, which is absolutely fantastic, honestly. But I don't need it from the spider. So if you're looking for one that's going to do that and, and reciprocate those cuddles and the love, you're going to have to find another animal. The next one's sad but true. They are unfortunately not legal in all places. Although not common, there are some towns, states, even countries that have restrictions against keeping tarantulas or certain species of tarantulas. In some cases, it's just certain species. In others, it may be any venomous arachnid. In the state of Connecticut, we are allowed to keep them. Luckily, the bill that would have passed in 2009 that would have made it very difficult for us to get permission to keep them did not pass. But we are not able to sell them in pet stores in the state or in any type of public venue like, a, for example, a, a pet expo or something of that nature. So we, we are able to buy them by mail, which is great. So unfortunately, you need to be sure and familiar with your local laws or your state laws, or your country laws before trying to acquire them because, again, some places you're not allowed to have them. So another thing that may turn somebody off who wants to keep a tarantula is that as much as we realize they are a lot more than what this is going to make them sound like, they are venomous animals that can bite or kick hairs from their abdomens if threatened. So although tarantulas can make great pets, it's always important to keep in mind that at the end of the day, they are exotic animals that have not been domesticated. If they feel the need to defend themselves, they all have fangs and venom to use as a deterrent. Also, all of the species considered good beginner tarantulas are New World spiders from North and South America and the surrounding islands. And although these spiders have mild venom, and this is where the whole, the bite would be no worse than a bee sting, granted a bee sting with some gigantic <laughs> stingers, they do have urticating hairs. And these hairs are nasty. And although for some people it might just be mild itching, a little burning, some people will get actual sores and boils, their skin will actually bubble up. And it's something that if you repeatedly get hair or you are repeatedly exposed to these hairs, you can become more sensitive to it as time goes on. So I've spoken 
spoken to many keepers that have stopped keeping New World species because they can't deal with the hairs. They walk into a room with New World species, they start itching and burning, not a good situation. So although they can be great pets, anyone keeping them needs to be aware of the potential risk. I do point out the folks, however, that it's a lot like keeping a gerbil or a hamster or a rabbit or any animal can bite. And I've been bitten by gerbils. I've been bitten by rabbits. It's still not fun. So it's not completely out there as far as an animal or a pet being able to bite you. It's just, I think in this case with the venom, with the hair, it makes it a little less desirable. Now, this next one might seem kind of odd to people, but I've actually encountered several folks who this was the big problem with the hobby. It wasn't the spiders themselves that creeped them out. They were turned off by feeder insects. Believe it or not, the biggest issue for some people keeping tarantulas isn't the actual tarantula, but the insects they have to feed them. Those who are squeamish around creepy crawlies may discover that they find the cricket, roaches, or mealworms they use as prey items to be repulsive. And I've spoken to more than one keeper over the years who dreaded feeding time because they didn't like working with the feeders. And then others struggle with the actual feeding experience because they sympathize with the bugs and don't like to feed live prey. And I can understand that because as I mentioned before, I have several roach colonies and I do, I raise these guys, I breed them. Okay, let's make it clear. I don't really have to do a lot. They do the breeding themselves, but you know what I'm saying. I, there's something I raise, and I do feel badly when I feed them out. I can't help it. And there's some people who feel very badly about it. So that could be a tough one for some people. The fact that if you can find enough love in your heart for a tarantula or a spider, then a lot of times it's very easy to find some love in your heart for the little feeders, the little cute little crickets and roaches you're feeding them. So I can totally understand that. And where other folks are not scared of spiders, but they're scared of, I've had people flat out abhor roaches. A lot of folks that have grown up in places where they've had roaches, they abhor them, they, they disgust them, total turnoff. They don't like to feed them, so they have to do other things. But that's something that some folks struggle with. The actual feeder insects can be a major issue or major obstacle towards keeping, uh, with keeping tarantulas. Now, the next one's obvious to anyone who keeps spiders and has for any amount of time. You tell people that you have spiders and they look at you like you're crazy. They, they make the uh, gross face. The problem is when you keep pets that people normally like, the cuddly pets, people are usually interested. Unfortunately, when it comes to tarantulas, others may have negative reactions to them. Earlier this year, Billy, who's quite involved with the hobby, obviously posted some pictures of molts on her Facebook page. It was kind of, I had laid some molts out because I was getting measurements of them. And I think she put something along the lines like, this is what it's like to have spiders, uh, Tom's big spiders, whatever. It was some funny thing. And after she explained that we kept tarantulas as pets, one of her quote unquote friends is why I love the term Facebook friends, thought it was appropriate to brag about how many tarantulas she'd killed in her life. Sadly, those who keep spiders are used to hearing comments like, I would smash it, kill it, burn that thing, I'd burn the whole house down when they try to show off their beloved pets. I've even had people tell me that they wouldn't visit my home because they found out that I kept spiders. And I've spoken to people who have Facebook accounts that they have special, they have to be very careful who sees their spider posts because they get those comments. The fact is, arachnophobia is one of the top phobias in the entire world. And with fear comes revulsion. Instead of respecting these creatures and understanding that they're very beneficial, these people tend to loathe them. And those who want to share their love of tarantulas to friends may discover they are met with a very hostile audience. And then worse still, people living with roommates or family members may experience resistance when asking to bring a pet spider into the home because they don't want a creepy crawly in the home. And I do understand it. If somebody, actually no, it's, it's hard, but I can't really say this, but if I'd moved in with Billy when we first met and I was still scared of spiders and she's like, I had tarantulas, I would be fascinated by them. They'd creep me out a little bit, but I'd be fascinated. But I understand that other people, 
they're just flat out, they don't want to be in the same room or under the same roof as them. And I can, I can appreciate that. I mentioned before I lived at home. When I lived at home, my mom was arachnophobic, so I was not allowed to have any. And even to date, although my mom will buy me some things like for Christmas and stuff that have spiders on it, she does not want to be around spiders at all. So if you are living in a situation that involves others, it is important that you address any potential issues sooner than later. And what that means is, If you're living in a home with other people, whether it's a roommate, whether you're in a dorm, whether you're still at home under your parents' roof and they don't like them, don't be one of those people that tries to bring them in without asking people or tries to hide them. That's not the way to do it. I've heard too many horror stories and we already had the beginning of the podcast and we can hear what happens when people don't respect that you have these animals. It only ends badly. Unfortunately, that is something that you have to face. People may have negative reactions, which may prevent how you're able to share them on social media, which may prevent who wants to come to your house, which may prevent you being able to keep them because the people that you live with don't want them. So that's always a negative and something that has to be considered. And finally, the last one has to be put under cons, but it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek inclusion of it because it can kind of be good too. The tarantula hobby is incredibly, incredibly addictive. And this is a warning I give every single person I correspond with who tells me they just got their first tarantula. I always end up with something like, be careful. Before you know it, your one or two turns into one or 200 or your you know three turns into 30. It's a super addictive hobby. And this is kind of a warning more than an actual con, but it needs to be said. It's a fact that the vast majority of those who pick up a tarantula as a pet eventually end up with more than one. I, I don't know what the stats are But for years of communicating with people, for years of talking to people, go, I'm only going to get one. And then, oh, I I, I have three and I'm trying to convince my wife to get 10. I'm trying to convince my husband to get more. A lot of us end up with more than one. A lot of us end up with more than 12. A lot of us end up with more than 50. It's just the way it happens. The, it took me years before keeping the queen, before I really got bit by the hobby. And then when I did, it was just guns ablazing from there. I now have a collection of well over 200 spiders. I think I'm around 250 if you include my true spiders. I'm obviously an extreme example, but collections of 30 or more are not uncommon. If you're the type of person who enjoys collecting things, consider this your warning. I would say one of the most common dilemmas I've heard in the hobby are people that are running out of room in their space, whether it be a closet, a bedroom, a shelf that they have, their spouses or significant others have said, all right, you can have this area and suddenly they have too many for it. A lot of us have been there. Heck, we moved. Part, one of the reasons why we moved as soon as we did, we were planning on spending a couple more years at the other house, but there came a point where I had more spiders than I should have for that room. And it's kind of a joke. I could have fit them. We were fine, but it was one of those deals where we realized that Tom's big spider stuff, I needed a better room for it. So we end up getting this house and I have this big, beautiful room where I can do all my videos, podcasts, and have all the spiders I want. But you need to know it's addictive. We can all back up. I think everybody can agree on this. It's a super addictive hobby. So here, that's it. That's what I got. Pros and cons. I think I covered most of them, but we'll have two questions for those who want to comment. First question, what did I miss? What else appeals to you? What appeals to you about the hobby? I'd love to hear it from others because again, this is something where I'm, I'm sure I didn't catch it all. Or maybe you agree with something, you have an example of it, but this, again, is something that we could point people to who don't get why we like them. And I do think when you're able to hit them with stuff like this and be able to go, bam, 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 this is what I love about it, you have to at least stop and think and consider it. Sure, you may not be able to get over the fact that it's a creepy crawly that you don't necessarily appreciate or you're 
terrified of, but at least it gives you a better idea why we like it. And then for the second question, how many do you have in your collection currently? That could be as simple if you want to chime in, drop a quick comment with the number or explain how many you got, how many did you think you have? What was your, I will tell you, I thought I was going to have 30. That was the number I said to Billy that day where I realized immediately I'd fallen into the rabbit hole. And obviously I got way more than that. So what do you got? What are you keeping? How many? You don't have to go into specific, you know, which species you keep, but just account for folks who want to chime in today on the comments. And we'll talk a little bit about it next week. So that will do it for this week. Again, thank you. A huge thank you to Travis for the amazing, amazing email. And a huge thank you for Nathaniel for reminding me that I was supposed to do this months ago. I appreciate both of you. Uh, for those who want to check it out, I should, I'm working on a 4k version of the Brocky Pelma blowout that I did. I think it was like November of 2018. I did a Brocky Pelma blowout. Well, a lot of these guys are much bigger now, much more beautiful, have some of their adult colors. So I kind of wanted to revisit it. And I've been dying to experiment a little bit more with 4K. One of the reasons I got this new computer is I wanted to play a little bit more with the 4K footage on the phone. And again, I'm not a photographer. This isn't going to be mind-blowing, I don't think, but hopefully it does look a little bit better than the normal footage. So we got basically all the footage of my current Brocky Pelma species that I keep. We'll be talking a little bit about them so that video hopefully because it's taking me forever to upload because the files are so big and to get the thing edited hopefully that'll be up later today i'll probably put that up first so it'll appear first on the website on the www.tomsbigspiderspodcast.com that's the new home of the podcast if you want to comment if you want to upvote if you'd like to subscribe so that way I have kind of mailing list when I want to contact people before a podcast say hey what do you guys think about this feel free to do it and comment obviously on this video if you want to but anyway hopefully that'll be up there and people can check that out if they're interested guys that'll do it for this one as always stay safe we'll catch you all next time